True Detective Season 1, Episode 2. Uh, the episode is called Seeing Things. It kind of has, I guess, a, a little bit of a meaning later. We'll talk about what, you know, obviously what they're, what they're seeing. I think it means a couple of different things. But it opens up with Rust and Marty going to see Dora Lang's mom. And Dora Lang's mom seems like a psycho. And it's really creepy. And you see some things like... Uh, you know, that, that creepy picture of a young girl standing in front of hooded men on a horse, which, you know, could be Klansmen or it could be something darker. It just looks strange, and they're all kind of surrounding this little girl. And, you know, around that point, the, the mom starts, you know, faking a headache, and, you know, they have to go before they really get any type of info. But you kind of just see, like, this girl uh, not really much of an upbringing, right, uh, vulnerable as Russ describes her later in the episode but they're you know they're trying to explore this murder from episode one and you know a little bit later on in the episode we we get, we're, we're kind of going back to the rust and marty dichotomy the, the the difference between these two uh, there's a scene that i think is really well done that's really trying to drive that home as is a, a, i guess a montage and it has rust waking up by himself, shirtless in bed, and immediately uh, getting a cigarette out. And as you're seeing that, you're seeing Marty, the family man, right? The the kids running in and pulling behind the blinds, and and Marty and Maggie laying in bed. And it's just again driving home, just right in your face. Boom! Here's these two guys, and it, it's kind of the last look at them two. I don't want to say pure. I don't want to say in a, in, a, in a pure manner. But it's the last time you look at these two without more critical information. I guess by what I mean of that is that immediately in the car, we go back and look. Episode one, you heard the audio from the car ride with Rust and Marty. I do think them isolated with dialogue is the strength of this season and really the strength of the series in general and what makes it so special and again in episode two we have that and marty wants to know he wants to ask russ why he didn't leave dinner you know the dinner party from episode one when he had came over to to meet the family he was like why didn't you leave when you had the chance and russ basically uh says i didn't it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be and marty of course is originally taken back by that i was like what did you mean why did you think it was going to be bad only for russ to finally come out and tell Tell Marty what he had already told his wife uh, that his, you know, he had a he had a wife, he had a daughter, and his daughter died in a car crash when she was two, and you know the wife shortly left after the marriage couldn't last after that. So you know then at that point Marty realizes, at, at least uh, I guess realizes what Maggie had in episode one when she's asking him like, you know, how well do you know this guy? And you know not very well at all. And it's been three months, and he hasn't opened up about that. But he finally has and says, yeah, I basically didn't want to come to dinner because it would remind me of my family. And, of course, when I'm watching this, I immediately think back to to Marty's comments about how a man needs a family, right, and how a man needs a family to kind of stay centered and, and what happens to a man without a family. And you kind of start, you know, Mar- Marty, I guess, is a, you know, 
from what we've seen from him so far is he's old school, right? And we'll get to that a little bit later in this episode. He's like a, he's a, he's an old school Southern Christian man, right? And you see the good in that and his values, or so you think. But you also see that kind of as a shield, and Rust doesn't have that shield anymore. His daughter's dead. His wife is gone. He is just vulnerable and out there, and that plays a big part into why he's so pessimistic about the world and why he is so dedicated to his craft, maybe. In the car ride, you you, you hear more about, or I guess you hear for the first time, Russ's uh, hallucinations, saying that he sees things that aren't there sometimes. And you know, they kind of display that with the sky changing colors and, and birds turning into a big circle and all that. And now you've got the groundwork. Okay, boom. You you have, like I said, the last time you see these guys for what they for what you assume they were. No longer is Marty just some weird outcast. He is a broken man. And immediately Marty is no longer a family man because it shows basically a bar scene where he's laughing, being the laugh of the party, talking about college girls sticking fingers up his ass and threesomes and all that. And then it immediately leads into him going to see see his side girl, Lisa. Which, by the way, shout out to Lisa. Uh, did a good job in her scene. Great actress. Did a fantastic job. Shout out to Lisa. We're all better for having seen Lisa. I'm kidding a little bit. But I do remember at the time watching that scene for the first time. I was like, okay, hello, Lisa. But you find out that Marty is a cheater, right? And Marty is not this great family man that he is pretending to be. He's not this, you know, he's not this great family man he's pretending to be. It, it, it almost seems more now these words of a man needs a family is more like, uh, you know, Marty's cry for help. Maybe that's a little too extreme, but it's Marty explaining like that he needs a family to keep him centered, to keep him out of trouble, to keep him out of bars, to keep him from chasing women like the only thing that's kind of giving balance to his to his life is his family not even if he's not even really not even if he's really committed to them but again it's more of that that mindset of a family serving a purpose and even with Lisa the girl he's cheating on his wife with he even tells her after they finish you know basically like yeah I was upset I drove by your house one night and you weren't there you weren't here and he, you know, basically implying like, hey, you, you know, you weren't here for me when I had some time for you, as if she is supposed to just be here on the side whenever it's time. So you kind of realize, you know, Marty, hey, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of something that you know, in 2012, he is describing basically any type of, uh, basically, he's, he's talking about his cheating as a release, like as a way for him to decompress, and you know, you can say it's because of the job. And he uses it as a job, and you see his relationship with his family, and basically never wants to have any type of intimate conversation because he's so stressed out from work. Like he has work as a crutch. So, this, you know, the first half of this episode is really opening up to the flaws of these men, if you want to call, you know, your daughter dying a flaw. I guess maybe that's not the right way to say it. It's opening up, it's changing what we know about these guys. They're no longer loners 
If you're Rust, you are a broken man. You're no longer great family man Marty. You are a cheater. And Rust kind of hints at some hallucinations that play him. And then that you know kind of leads into the next part, which is him going to the bar and talking to some hookers as he's trying to make some progress on this Dora Lane case, which you know leads to them going back to a hotel room, A, for drugs. He wants some quaaludes to help sleep. But B, still trying to find out more information. And there's a you know she's obviously attracted to Rust, but you you know you get the sense now that Rust isn't driven by sex, like he has no interest in her spreading his legs, and and then it, I think it has the best quote, at least one of the best quotes of the series, at least in my opinion, and one of the best quotes of the episode for sure, when he talks about uh, being the police, and she says, "Oh, you know, you seem kind of dangerous," and he says, "Of course I am." Kind of strange. Like, you might be dangerous. Well, of course I'm dangerous. I'm police. I can do terrible things. With impunity. And you get a really good idea about exactly what he means by that. You know, there is the... There is the 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 scene where they are looking for the bunny ranch, and he goes in and finds mechanics, and they're, of course, not wanting to talk about where a brothel is. So he goes back in alone without Marty and takes a toolbox up to uh, upside the guy's head and then throws the other one on the table and immediately begins to to break his wrist, letting him know like, hey, yes, no, I am going to get this information and there's not really anything you can do it. I am dangerous. I am the police. And then you know, going back to even further, as you learn more about Rust, he reveals that he had to work four years of narco undercover and, you know, 11 months is the standard narco sentencing. But he had to do four years because you find out that he later, or he, I guess before then he had killed a drug member. Uh, you know, he talks about he's killed members of the cartel, and he talks about shooting one guy in the head who had injected crystal meth into an infant daughter. And Russ snaps and does the right thing ultimately and kills him. But his punishment was four years in the uh, undercover, I guess, with the narc portion of the police. Says, hey, yeah, after that they realized that I was probably unfit and they offered me a psych pension. But instead I said, hey, let me, just send me to, to homicide. And they ended up sending him to Louisiana and that's how him and Marty began working with each other. So you've got more of a backstory on Rust. So the night before, he is in the hotel room with a hooker learning about this bunny ranch. Meanwhile, not working, doing the opposite of working, is Marty being handcuffed by a a woman who works at the courthouse. They go into work the next morning, go into the locker rooms, a change, and Marty comes in looking like hell. Obviously, had been out all night. Obviously, uh, uh, didn't go home. And it leads to a pretty intense interaction between the two. As, well, I'll just let you hear it. What? You can wash up. You got some pussy on you. Key to a healthy marriage. Oh, it's Maggie, huh? So obviously right here, you hear it. Uh, Marty comes in, obviously been out all night, 
And as Russ says, smelling like, uh, well, smelling like pussy. And Marty takes Mar- Mar- Marty's living in denial more. Like he has, the, he wants this image to stay family man, family man. So he says, "Yeah, that's the uh, the the secret to any marriage." And Rust, I think obviously, if uh, if Marty knew about Rust, uh, what he knew about him as the, as the show went on of just how good of a detective he was, he wouldn't have even tried to have uh, slipped that one past him because he gets, uh, you know, Rust is obviously like, "No, oh, it's Maggie, huh?" Okay. Hey, what's with your fucking nose? Nothing, man. Sorry, forget it. I get a connotation being implied here about my wife. Are you saying that's wife? And how tired you walking in with? You got some idea how my wife's pussy's supposed to smell? No, I just meant you wearing the same clothes as you did yesterday. Coupled with the fact that I ain't stupid. Wouldn't make no comment as to the particularity of the scent. I thought Marty's response here is just so strange. Like he's he's not even maybe aware that 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 Russ knows he's cheating. It's more he's he's offended that Marty would or excuse me, that Russ would be talking about the scent of his wife. Strange, but it's almost like, hey, it's the insecurities we talked about from episode one at the dinner party where you can just tell he's uneasy by Rust, a a good-looking guy is in the house chatting up his wife. And now, not even the the fact that he he's caught cheating, it's just the idea that, that Rust is even thinking about what his wife would ultimately smell, smell like, I guess. You don't say fuck all about my wife. Don't say her name. You got some self-loathing to do this morning, that's fine. But it ain't worth losing your hands over. That would not work exactly. Just apply a couple pounds of pressure. Snap your wrist. You're seeing your detective. Make him lie. Now it's that's the first part of the relationship that you see that we know from episode one, and we know the fact that they haven't talked since two thousand two. We know that there's some type of schism there where they're not talking, and and so far it's been a little tested, a little heated, but no real conflict. And there's the first moment where there's conflict because Russ knows Marty's not this great family man, and, and Russ does know what he's up to, and. You throw in the the dynamic of someone threatening his his family, or I guess his his security in his family, and now they have conflict. So they get in the car. Now they're headed to the bunny ranch. They're headed to the bunny ranch, and they they stop by. They ask the mechanics. No luck. Uh, Russ beats the hell out of them because he's the police, and the police can do whatever they want, essentially. So they find out where the bunny ranch is. They go there. It's a trailer park for sex trafficking, basically. And there's some, they're they're getting information. They find a diary. They're talking more about how this Dora Lane girl's in church. Like a big part of this episode is just church, church, church. She's trying to get her life right. She uh, maybe have turned a corner. Maybe there's some cult. Maybe there's something going on here. But she had been running around with the church. And then at that point, you see a a young girl, you know, 
I guess supposed to be 15, 16 years old, and Marty has really taken offense to the fact that she is working as a sex trafficker, basically. And that leads to the 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 pimp, for lack of a better term, or I guess the madame, uh, you know, being saying, "Hey, she is." Uh, you should see where she came from. Basically, the only reason you're mad is because of you have lost control of this girl. Society and men cannot tell her how to handle her body. Like everyone's fine with sex until the woman is selling sex, or I guess not going with society's norms of sex. You can't control it, which is obviously well written and ties back into what we know about Marty where I told you like he he wants to control his his family and his wife, you know, later in the episode you kind of see that coming out too and his his mistress, he's mad she's not home and he wants to really women for Marty are people serving a purpose people filling in the certain needs that he has. So I think she struck a chord there when she's saying, hey, like well, you're just upset because you can't control it. Now, maybe there's also a side to Marty who who sees his daughters in that, right, and doesn't want a what he considers a kid being exposed to sex trafficking and sex for money. Like, obviously, that, that makes sense. And he, before he leaves, tells her basically, like, you can do better than this. Here's some money. Fix your life. And a pure moment, if you will, maybe Marty trying to make some type of sacrifice or donation or, you know, ties an offering, putting some money in an offering plate, you know, trying to pay for penance or, you know, trying to do something good after a night of doing something really wrong. He gives this girl money and, you know, almost as if he's guilty of sorts. And it's a interesting moment, which is in... Uh, met pretty quickly by Russ Cole not really backing down from Marty's aggression earlier and really just kind of agging it on and piling on at a at a pretty what should or what is a vulnerable time for his partner that he's not that cool with. Got a down payment. Is shitting any moment of decency part of your job description? Just a simple, a, a little bit of a comedy value there. Obviously, dark comedy value of of him putting a down payment on a on a sex worker, one that's underage, as that you know because Russ has found out Marty is a cheater and he's already confronted him about that. But it's really you know kind of just goes to show that Rust is going to be Rust and he's not going to to try to coddle anybody, especially Marty. He's found an insecurity and now he's going to try to kind of twist it a little bit. So we've seen all this. They're all that they have a a journal entry about a church and a location of a of a tent revival, basically. So now they're on the lookout for that. And at the end of the night, after a long stressful day of of Marty cheating on his wife and getting caught out of by his partner and uh, seeing these young girls sex trafficking, Marty has come home and the last thing he wants to do is talk. And the last thing he wants to do is be hounded, as he puts it. And here you see the more of what we've talked about in hour two, episode two, more of what we discovered, which is basically Marty doesn't have a good home life, but Marty also doesn't really understand what it takes to have a good home life or a good marriage as he's interacting with his wife here after dinner. We've been through this. Sweetheart, listen to me. 
There is nowhere else I want to be. I wonder if you even know your line. Oh, come on! Bad enough that the shit I gotta wade through on a daily basis bring me this feel bad for me crap. When I, I, I work 30 hours straight and spent the weekend listening to your dad's bullshit, I come home to one place where there's supposed to be peace and calm. So you hear it there, like Marty's saying, hey, I'm supposed to be able to come home somewhere where it's comfortable, somewhere where I have peace. I've done the family trip to meet your, you know, to see your parents. And he argued with his dad earlier in the episode basically about how, how this generation's soft. And he's like, hey, every old man has said that for the last, you know, 50 years, and they're going to keep saying it. But you hear here he's talking about I'm supposed to be able to come home, get some peace, get some quiet, be able to relax. Oh, man, you throw this shit. Who told you that? It's not always that way. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be what I want. It's supposed to help me. We do help you. All the goddamn time. Okay, well, what, what do you want me to say? You, you want me to talk about the woman had antlers? Do you want me to tell you about the kids disappearing? And maybe you'll stop with the poor me little whiny bullshit. Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to make you feel bad for me? Is that really how you want to play this? No, honey. I think you're the greatest woman I ever met, and you're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But, yeah, you know, sometimes I think you might have a penchant for self-pity. And right now I need you to be strong so that I can do my job. So right there, I mean, you, you, you hear it, Marty doesn't really value his wife Maggie as a partner. She's more of a servant and more of a there to, I guess, take care of the family and take care of Marty, keep him grounded, and pretty much just deal with her unhappy her unhappy relationship. And at the end of that clip, she basically talks about how Marty's now a coward. Basically, like, you're just staying in this relationship, you're a coward. You at least used to have some balls, she said. So, you know, it's been a pretty wild 24 hours for Marty as we kind of see more into his life. And then you fast, you, you flash forward to 2012 and you see Russ there. And Russ is talking about, you know, his family and the, the interrogators are asking him about his relationships. He's like, yeah, you know, I had, I used to have, I used to be married. Then I had another relationship and it didn't work out. But basically he's talking about how it freed him. It freed him and just kind of allowed him to be who he was kind of supposed to be ultimately, or at least that's the way he sees it in terms of just uh, alone. He says his current life in 2012 is just working four days at a bar, living behind the bar, and drinking the other three days. And he doesn't have anyone else to answer to, no other responsibilities, and it just allows himself to be happy. Just allows himself to be happy and says, you know, there's a, there's some victory in allowing himself to be himself. And it's a stark contrast from what we see from 1995. Marty, who is desperately trying to be someone he is ultimately not, a family man. And in 2012, Rust, despite looking crazy and having the long hair and the mustache and, and you know, being a hermit and a weirdo, that's now expected of or suspected of murder, he's like, hey, at least there's some victory and being allowed to be yourself. 
I just thought that was really uh, well done when pressed up against Marty, who is desperately trying to be something uh, that he's not. Episode ends the next day as the two of them go finally find this church. And they get in the church and they're looking around and and Marty, who you know hasn't really shown the the cop chops, the chops to be a detective, even though he, I mean, you know, we're supposed to think he's a good cop, but he's quickly in that church and he's like, yeah, there's nothing here. It's a burnt down church, an old church. It's it looks like something that you know has been abandoned for a long time. It burnt down. It's gone. He's ready to move on, and you hear, you hear, rust talking about it in 2012 as they are walking to, you know, as as he is uncovering a painting on a wall, painting on a wall of basically the image that was depicted in the murder, in the murder that opened this, uh, that opened the show up. Dora Lang, the antlers, the naked body that's painted on a wall. And I love this audio that ends the episode. Okay. Place is trash. This ain't no kind of anything. Yeah, back then, the visions. Yeah, most of the time I was convinced that I'd lost it. Marty. feelings he gets the, the the police work he's able to do because of them are really helping progress this case and episode two ends there as they're in the church and they just kind of fade out and now they are getting closer i guess or at least realizing that all this stuff is kind of connecting and that there are signs and that there is something bigger going on maybe inside the church maybe inside the church because early in the episode there was a uh I guess a statement about a war on Christianity. There's a war going on out there. The the Christians, uh, the local Christians, the state Christians had brought in a task force basically because it was being viewed as a, a war on Christianity. And, you know, the deep South, that is, that is something that you can't have happening, right? A war on Christianity. You got to call in people and uh, get this, get this settled. So here we are. End of episode two, uh, episode three. We'll talk about it soon. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Give me some feedback. Ask some questions if you want. We'll do some questions uh, on a future episode of True Detective Season 1.